guys here just want to wish you a happy fourth of july enjoy it with your family enjoy the freedom that we have it's going to be great you know there's 150 million hot dogs sold every fourth of july so that's really cool you know uh john adams in 1777 was the one that said hey fireworks we should shoot fireworks so enjoy the i don't need to do that Okay, okay, happy 4th! Happy 4th of July. Well, all joking aside, we are indeed grateful for the freedom we have in the United States of America, aren't we? Absolutely. May we never take for granted uh, this freedom that we have in our wonderful country. And we know that freedom is a gift from God, and may we as God's people be agents of freedom to to the world around us. And we are grateful to be free to worship God this morning. We are joined by a really uh, awesome group of leaders. This is Sam Elvis. Sam leads our youth and young adults. Give him a hand. Yes, that's right. And of course, you know Amanda Hall. She keeps everybody in order on stage here. including myself. And this is Maddie Court. She is our intern for the, one of our interns for the summer, and she's helping to organize everything for Sunday morning. And so we're excited to have them join us and lead us this morning as uh, our director of worship, A.J. Skifstad, is out on vacation this week, but we're indeed grateful for their leadership uh, today. But welcome to church, everyone. If you're joining us for one of the first times ever, either here in person or online, we want to invite you to check us out at vlchurch.com. You can learn about all the things that the Lord is doing here at Victory Life Church and how you can get involved and commit yourself to the things of God if you check us out at vlchurch.com. There is a banner there that looks like the one you see on the screen. Uh, You can click on the banner, and it'll take you to something that you could fill out that'll come straight to us. It'll communicate to us, and we will communicate with you about the ways in which you can kind of get connected to Uh, the things of God here at Victory Life Church. We do have a few announcements that I want to make mention of. We've been talking about these the last few weeks. Uh, Next weekend, we are going to have Baby Dedication Sunday. That's Sunday, July 11th. So if you have a newborn or a toddler that you would like to dedicate to the Lord, uh, please give consideration in participating. Um, We uh, are going to have a time in our service next Sunday in which Uh, these little ones can be dedicated unto God. And so to do that, you can go to our website. You see a screen there that says Baby Dedication Sunday. Just click on that particular banner and fill out the form, and you will be good to go. We're looking forward to that for sure. Speaking of our kiddos, I want to make mention once again of our Vacation Bible School that's coming up in a few weeks. This year's theme is Treasured, in which case our little ones are going to learn about their enormous value in the kingdom of God. And wouldn't you agree that God wants to make a connection with our little ones on their level? And so that's what we endeavor to do at our Vacation Bible School. And so we're looking forward to that. 
It's going to happen July 19th through the 22nd. And so encourage your friends and family to participate. It's going to be a great time. They can sign up at vlchurch.com by clicking on the banner that you see there uh, on the screen. Well, if you've come to worship the Lord this morning with your tithes and offerings, we want to say thank you for doing so. And as a reminder, every first Sunday of the month is Benevolent Sunday here at Victory Life Church. And so Benevolent Sunday uh, includes an opportunity for us as a church to give to our benevolence ministry. Our benevolence ministry is a ministry that serves people within our faith community who might have a need. You know, 2,000 years ago when the church first got started in Acts chapter 2, we hear of believers gathering together, and the Bible tells us that they gave to anyone as they had need, and the Lord added to their number daily. So that's what we want to do as a church. That's who we want to be as a church. We want to be able to give people that have a need within our faith community, and so Uh, If you have come this morning to give to that ministry, this is your opportunity to do so. And of course, you know, there are many ways that you can give to Victory Life Church. You can text to give. You can uh, give on our website at vlchurch.com backslash give. And you can certainly give by taking one of those envelopes that is in the seat back in front of you. And you could put your tithe and offering in that envelope. And on your way out, our ushers will make sure that that gets into our giving basket this morning. So thank you once again for worshiping the Lord uh, this morning with your tithes and offerings. Can I ask you to stand this morning in preparation for worship? And as we do, let's offer a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, that we might know your heart for us and experience the freedom that he has given us. The Bible says the reason you sent your son is because you love us. That That means you love everyone in this room. It means you love everyone watching online. It means you love them regardless of how many mistakes, mishaps, and failures they have committed. For you sent your love to us in spite of these things. I remember my one friend said years ago that a fisherman doesn't catch a, or doesn't clean a fish before he catches it. And that's how all of us were when we came to you. We weren't clean. We weren't pure. We were unholy and unrighteous. But you loved us anyways. And man, if there is one reason that we should worship you this morning, it is for that reason indeed. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. So now, would you turn our hearts to you to express a little bit of love to you in return? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
His grace. 
this morning that as Pastor Otto said before before we knew it was coming before we knew that we were going to be saved God had a plan of redemption for us for me, for you we didn't have to be perfect or cleaned up he just did it he did it because he loved us he wanted a relationship with us and so he made the first move and he made the way And then he tells us who we are. We're not defined anymore by what we used to be. We're transformed by him. And he says that we're chosen. He says we're not forsaken. He says that we're his child. And we get to live in that. So this morning, I want to direct your attention to a verse in Psalms that talks about the marvelous work that God did. Not just for, he he refers to the people of Israel, but to all the nations and all the people. And that's us. We get to be included in that. Psalm 98, 1 through 3 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so as Sam leads us in this song, how marvelous. Let's internalize that this morning. Let's be able to praise and to worship God for the marvelous work of his hand, which is our salvation, but more importantly, him reaching out to us to have relationship with us.
Lord Jesus, this is a place today that has been designed to honor you. Our hearts today have been encouraged to honor you. For you came after us when there was nothing lovely or beautiful to make you want to come after us. You came after us out of your great love. You came after us out of your great mercy and out of your abundant grace. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all the times that we rejected your overtures and you just kept coming. We thank you for all the times that we fell back into that sin and you forgave us again. We thank you for all the times that we felt no sense of worth in this world and were reminded that the Son of God died for us. And we thank you, as we are reminded today, of all the times that we've given of ourselves and wondered, does it matter? Does anyone care? Is anyone listening? Does anyone see? And we're reminded that you care. You have listened. You have seen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done for us. We pray that we continue to honor you as we prepare our hearts to hear from your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome once again to Victory Life Church today. I'm Pastor Matt. 
We're really glad you're here with us on this 4th of July, exercising our freedom to gather and worship together, which is great. That's a, that's a blessing. We didn't have to show anybody papers as we came into church this morning. Uh, we, we, no, we're not going to go back to a job tomorrow that someone's going to make us do in, in, in the government somewhere, and we are able to freely assemble and worship today, which is a beautiful thing, and we praise God for our freedoms today. So as you are grilling, and as you are bocceing, and as you are cornholing, and as you are firework gazing, remember that it's a great day to be free. And it's a beautiful thing to be free. And it's been good to sing about our freedoms in the house of the Lord. I've exercised some freedoms over the years that maybe aren't so healthy. How about you? I was thinking about ad campaigns that were sort of incredible in the last few years of my life. I remember being in high school and Taco Bell all of a sudden decided that they were going to be open till 2 a.m. I remember these commercials distinctly because there was a guy named Pete wearing a nightcap. And a guy walked in and said, this is Pete. And then yelled, wake up, Pete. And the next thing you know, Pete was waking up to do what? Go to fourth meal. Before the early 2000s, we did not know that fourth meal was a thing. Fourth meal was not in the American language. It didn't exist until Taco Bell decided to normalize fourth meal for people. Now, if you're in a certain age bracket, you don't remember this at all. But I happened to be in high school and college And all of a sudden, we were given permission to leave our dorm at 1 a.m. in search of a chili cheese burrito. We were given permission. Not only were we given permission, but we were told that that's what everybody was doing, was going for that chili cheese burrito or that soft taco supreme. Here's the problem with that. Fourth meal is not a good thing. It's not a good thing for anybody. No one ever engaged in fourth meal and afterwards thought that was a good idea. Yet it has made its way into our culture pervasively. And the idea of a young person, or and now I hear people like, yeah, who are older than me going, yeah, 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 I was out late, stopped to Taco Bell. Uh, it's, it's become so normalized in our culture that every place has got to be open late to complete with, compete with Taco Bell. And it's, it's not even considered a weird thing for the line in Taco Bell to be, oh, I don't know, full at 1130. Isn't it interesting the way that something's not in the culture 20 years ago can be in the culture today? And if influence and advertising and and the way people present things is done just the right way, all of a sudden things can change in an instant. Well, today we're going to talk about a third concept in our series, The Renewed Mind, God's Peace in an Age of Overwhelm. And in our first week of this series, we talked about God's desire to change us, God's desire through Jesus to renew our minds and set us free from what binds us internally. We then began to talk about godly principles, things from the Word of God that we are going to encourage folks here at Victory Life to live out throughout the summer and see if, see if God might renew our minds, see if God is going to make good on his promise and his intent for us. And the first thing we learned two weeks ago as a godly principle is that we should examine every thought at its origin with the Lord. When we begin to go through that thought pattern and into that thought pattern that's not healthy, we begin to say immediately, stop, Lord, where is that coming from, and what do you have to say about it? So we talked about examining every thought at its origin from the Lord. 
Second, because so much of our emotional and mental instability comes because of the busyness and overwhelm of our culture, Pastor Aaron last week talked to us about the timeless principle of Sabbath, taking a weekly rest to renew the body, the spirit, and the mind, that, that we are supposed to take this pause and reevaluate where we stand in life and with the Lord. And my favorite point last week, that it was a sub-point that Pastor Aaron made, was if Sabbath is without the Lord, it's not Sabbath. But if we take a rest weekly and take that day to say, I will do no work and I will rest and evaluate our relationship with the Lord and spend time with the Lord, we will be renewed. Well, I want to bring you a third principle today, one straight from the Word of God, and I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to settle into Ephesians chapter 4 for the rest, or I, won't, I don't want to say the rest of the month, but at least the next three weeks, because there's three principles that come out of this chapter which have to do specifically with the way we think and the way we process life. And although the word mind or thought is not necessarily in our first passage today that's going to begin in verse 11, it, it is going to be pervasive throughout the rest of the chapter, and you're going to see that the words that are used here, especially in verse 14 and 15 of this passage, are going to remind us that God is doing this renewing work and this new thing in our minds and in our spirits. So we're going to spend three weeks in, in Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue this series and try to give you a concept each week from the Word of God. And the concept for this week is very simple. The concept is this. God desires us to settle in on our influencers. He, decide, he wants us to decide who gets a seat at the head of the table of our minds. Who has our ear? Who's able to lean over and whisper, hey, go ahead, or hey, not so good. What's the seating arrangement at the table of our minds? Who are our key influencers? Paul, in the book of Ephesians, is going to encourage us today, in Ephesians chapter 4 through 11, to make sure that although we're always going to have people trying to influence us, that the order of operations, that the person at the head of the table, that the people at the front of the line are the ones who actually should be influencing us. This week, you have had people try to influence you on money, on dating, on marriage, on parenting, on sexuality, on politics, on race and vaccines and health, on hardship, on sin, on st in strife, on threats, on the future. Somebody's been trying to influence you in all of these arenas of life. And could it be that part of our overwhelm as a culture is because we're over-influenced? We've got too many voices. TMI all the time. And not TMI, someone told me something about what happened after fourth meal. Like TMI, that, that I have too much information and influence going on in my mind. And if I may use another acronym, too much FOMO, fear of missing out. So that we constantly have to be dialed into our devices, constantly have to be staring at a screen to make sure that we have all the necessary information, which is not necessary at all. Could it just be that we have TMI and FOMO going on so strong in every age bracket, not just from, not just from the young people, but folks uh, even into the oldest generation that have too much information coming in, too much undue influence stirring us up because we're spending too much time being influenced by the wrong people. Paul was concerned about this for the Ephesians. Ephesus was a very interesting place. 
If you want to learn more about Ephesus and Paul's journey there, write in your notes Acts chapter 19. It's the story of how the church in Ephesus got started. Ephesus was a deeply pagan place. In fact, the, the, the idea that Christianity became so strong and such a hotbed in Ephesus is really wild because Ephesus had a patron goddess, the goddess Artemis. Ephesus was a place of deeply ingrained pagan patterns. They were proud of their patron goddess. In fact, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus was one of the seven great wonders of the world, four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. This place was massive. And their culture was wrapped around pagan ideals and principles. And in the midst of that, Christianity comes in and says, you're done with that. And you're going to have to take the influence of everything around you and push it to the side if you're going to get and have and experience all that the Lord Jesus has for you. And what is true of Ephesus then is true of us today. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following. Paul says that he, being Christ, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now catch this. This is verse 14. This is the issue there in Ephesus, and this is the issue for us today. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and in deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, how many of you have ever read that passage before by raised hand? You've read Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and following. And you have probably heard a sermon on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, about serving the church, volunteering in the church, being part of the church, and being an active member of the church. And it is a key position, if you will, of the Apostle Paul. And it's a key way to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. But there's something else going on here. Verse 14 is speaking... To a reality, just want to make sure you're awake. I have a button down here that does that. The first person I see sleeping, I hit it. Ephesians chapter 4 is speaking to a reality of how hard it is to remain in a good place mentally and emotionally. Look at verse 14 again with me just to establish this point. Paul is concerned that we would no longer be children. That's the Greek word for infant. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a problem. None of us are literally getting hit by waves. None of us are literally being carried away like the nannies from Mary Poppins by the wind. Right? That's not happening to us literally, but it is happening to us here and here. Paul is concerned that with TMI, with too much information headed in the right, in, in, in an indirect, incorrect direction, try to say that, incorrect direction, 
That, that if, if that is the case, that bad things are happening to us. Now, I've never met anybody who likes getting hit by a wave. How many of you have ever been in, in the Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean, even, even a, a really wild day on Lake Erie, and all of a sudden you turn around and get smacked in the face by a wave? Ever happened to you? That's not a good feeling. Like, nobody enjoys that. Nobody's like, oh, I got hit by a wave. You're like, oh, that was terrible. Now, how many of this has happened to you? You get hit by the first wave, and you turn to the people you're swimming with. You're like, did you see me get hit by that? And then the second one gets you, right? Except this time you swallow the water. And if it's Lake Erie water, you don't know what color you're going to turn that night, right? You're just not even sure, right? So you get hit by the second wave. Now you're swallowing water. And as you're going, the third wave comes, and this is the scary one. Have you ever got hit by the third wave, and it tumbles you over? And you don't know up from down, left from right, and you're hoping that eventually you're going to get spit up on the shore like Jonah or there's no hope for you. You ever been there? You've been there. So when Paul says that we can get tossed about by the waves, he's not like making a joke about a bad day on a boogie board. All right? He's giving a very clear indication of what can happen when we are up against strong forces that can beat us up. And I've never been carried about by the wind. But you've seen somebody on the Weather Channel get carried about by the wind. That's not a good feeling. Windstorms are disconcerting. And the idea that there can be doctrine, or very specifically, let's just, let's just break it down in English. It just means teaching. It just means teaching. Something that, that, that somebody is foisting upon you that can carry you in a direction that God never meant you to go. That can carry you to a place that you weren't meant to be. Paul's concerned about this for us. He's concerned that we have the wrong influences that are going to hit us when the waves come, and they're going to carry us away whenever we hear teaching that isn't of Christ. And he starts by calling us children. He says, we don't want to be children any longer. We don't want to be infants. We as grown adults can think about how we would navigate a big wave day, but infants really have no recourse if they were tossed into the surf. And he wants us to see ourselves that way so that we will come out on the right side of this understanding. He wants us to understand that that when we come to Christ, whether we came to Christ at the age of 4 or 42, that in terms of, of the influence of others on us, in terms of the world's influence and the world's ability to beat us up, we're all infants. And Paul's going to give us some measures to become adults, but let's describe a little bit more about the waves and the wind so we make sure that we understand the problem. You see, when the Bible uses a term like wave and doesn't describe it, what we're really talking about is the hard stuff of life. Hard stuff of life is the way. There's going to be things that come and hit you, and you're not going to necessarily always be ready for them, and you're not always going to necessarily be able to stand up in them. They're going to hit you, and they're real things. And there are real things that hit all of us. I was worshiping today, and I was singing the songs that we were singing, and I was thinking about some of you who are sitting around me right now, and you're carrying a lot. You're loving people, you're taking care of people, you're looking after people, because life circumstances have been really tough, and you're not always thanked for it, and you don't always feel loved for it, and you don't always feel appreciated for it, but you're taking care of a lot of situations and a lot of people. The waves of the world have come, and they're hitting you right now. And you're going, wow, is it ever going to relent? We lose loved ones. We navigate the first pandemic in 100 years. We do get broken, then have things break. 
We do have friends that stop being friends. We do fall into traps of sin that wreck our relationships and also wreck our relationship with God in a way. We, we, we do have things that happen that we don't like at work. We do have times that the leadership of the church decides something that we don't like. These are all waves. They're real things in life. They're real things that happen, and nobody would ever dismiss that they're tough. Nobody would ever dismiss that you're facing a wave, and that's been the problem sometime in, sometimes in the church. People are getting smacked in the face by the waves, and we're looking at them going, well, pick yourself up. Well, what are you going to do about that? You going to claim some scripture over it? I know that you can't breathe right now. Speak some scripture, right? And we're looking at each other saying, pick yourself up, get up, don't feel that way, don't feel that way, don't feel that way. But in essence, the waves are hitting, and they're real, and we have to address them. But the problem as it relates to influence is this. When a wave hits, who are you listening to? When a tough thing happens in your life, who's in your head? Out at the Welcome Center today, our intern Maddie will be there. She'll be selling books having to do, things that we've vetted and we've read as a staff, having to do with our mental and emotional health in Christ. And one of those books is called The Four Voices by Pat Morley. And it's a very simple book, and it's a very simple concept. Pat says there's four voices out there. There's the world, there's the flesh, there's the enemy, and there's the Holy Spirit. Which one are you listening to when the wave hits? That's going to really determine how you deal with... So, for instance, maybe you're feeling like some friend has abandoned you. There's a friendship that was really, really sweet at some point in your life, and all of a sudden that friend is ghosting you, and you don't know why. It doesn't make sense to you. What are you going to do with that? That's a real wave. That's a hurtful thing. That's a stinky thing. Who's in your ear? Well, if the world is in your ear, what you do immediately is, is simple. You start stalking them on social media. You find out why they're not your friend anymore. You find out who they're not hanging out, who they are hanging out with now, those horrible people, those terrible influences. You find out who those terrible people are and what they're doing with those terrible people. What are they out doing? that I'm not invited to. And you drive yourself absolutely crazy as you stalk them on social media, and you convince yourself that they are evil and all of their other friends are evil. Simple. That's what you do when you lose a friend. If it's your flesh, what you do is simple too. You decide that you're going to write that friend a letter about what a terrible friend they've been. And you're going to write about all the ways that you've been there for them and all the times that they haven't been there for you. And you are going to try to put them in an emotional prison to free yourself from your own. It's simple. Gratify the desires of the flesh. Operate as if you've been the best friend in the world and they've never done anything for you and think that way. The enemy would love to be the boy. He'd love to tell you that you're worthless, that nobody wants to be your friend, that you'll never have a friend again, that this isn't the first person that done, has done this to you, and this is going to happen to you forever, and you're never going to have deep and lasting friendships because there's something wrong with you. And the enemy would love to set you a table at your pity party for one. See, we have voices, we have influence. And we have to recognize, as we talked about two weeks ago, that sometimes, right in that beginning of that thought, right in the beginning of the moment, you say, hold on a minute, God, I don't think that's your voice. God, I think you're sitting way down at the end of the table of my mind, and the one in my ear right now is not you. I have undue influence as I'm facing a wave of life. I'm facing a real thing, a real struggle, 
But the voice of the Lord is not what's in my ear right now. Because there's only one voice that's going to lead you to health. There's only one voice that's going to lead you to wholeness. And it's the voice of the Lord. The other problem with these waves and this overwhelm that we're feeling in our society today and all the things that we're taking in as we don't evaluate the influence is that the smaller waves have been magnified like never before. All of a sudden we're in a traffic jam and we are screaming at the top of our lungs and we just don't know why. And it's not just because, well, I'm Italian, right? No, you're worked up. My wife's full-blood Italian, 100%. She doesn't yell in traffic. She's a good woman. No, something's going on inside of us. The waves are being magnified. Someone makes fun of you. And all of a sudden, you just go into this place of horror. Somebody made fun of me. And you're like, no. Sometimes friends make fun of you. They poke fun at you. People at church will poke fun of you. We believe in the sixth love language, sarcasm, here at VLC. You are in when we make fun of you, right? You go to the men's retreat, we're going to say horrible things to you about yourself and then pray over you later. Someone pokes fun at you and you just can't handle it. That's just a little ripple, but ah, it hits you hard. Or the big boss is coming into work tomorrow, right? And you can't sleep. The big boss comes in once a month, but for some reason it's just too big for you to handle. We've got too many waves, and in too many of the waves, we're not listening to the right voices. We're not processing the wave. In fact, we're acting as if there is no one in the waves with us in order to help us up when we get smacked by one. I was talking to a buddy of mine this week who recently went on vacation. He decided that it'd be a good idea to swim out to the sandbar in the Atlantic Ocean. And as he began to swim and the waves picked up and the winds picked up and as he was trying to get to the rest of his family, he recognized very quickly that he was floundering, that he, that he wasn't perhaps going to make it to the sandbar. And he said, I thought to myself, I'm going to die right out here just trying to swim out to this sandbar. And at that point, he said something very, very humbling happened. His nephew reached out and grabbed him by the arm and pulled him the rest of the way. To safety. Paul's going to tell us that when we're hit by the waves, we don't need to be hit by the waves alone. We don't. But that's a takeaway. Let's talk about the wind for a minute. Before I get to the wind, I have a really good line that I wrote down. I just want to share this with you. I think it's important. The enemy of your soul wants to make every wave feel like a tsunami. He wants to make everyone feel like something that's much bigger than it is. This is why Paul said, listen, folks, I'm pressed but not crushed. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I am hit by a wave, but this wave's not going to take me. Okay? Let's talk about the winds for a minute, because Paul really elaborates on the winds. Look back at verse 14 with me for a minute. Paul says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. Doctrine is just teaching. Doctrine is a way of thinking. Paul says, it's very easy for you, Ephesians, it's very easy for you, folks in Ohio in 2021, to be, to be pushed along by a wind of teaching that's not healthful, but it is cunning and it is craftiness and it is deceitful. It can take you to a place that you're not meant to go. It's fourth meal. It's 
It's not good for you. But, but for some reason, that you, you, you've internalized it, you've looked at the information, you've been influenced by it, and it takes you a place that you're not supposed to go. And it's unhealthy. And it's interesting in our culture today, things have shifted exponentially. I think about the things my parents were worried about sending me to school. My parents were worried about what would happen when I came across the theory of evolution, when I stopped believing in creationism. My parents were worried about what would happen when I was exposed to certain people and their language in the sixth grade. What would happen when I went to middle school and I began to hear about this or began to hear about that. My parents were worried about these types of things. But our culture has changed in that the entryway and the portal for us to hear and see and be influenced does not start in the schoolroom any longer. It does not start where, where, where kids go to school. It starts much earlier. And I'm not trying to be old, and I'm not trying to be out of date, and I'm not trying to not be with it, but I'm just, it, it's real. Our children today are exposed to influences long before they hit the sixth grade. And they're exposed to influences through social media, through television, through YouTube, and all the rest. And they're taking in the TMI, and they're seeing things and trying to comprehend things and trying to understand things that God didn't design for them to understand or even think about on that level at any point in their life. And that's a problem. It's a big problem. But that problem just doesn't start with our elementary age kids. It doesn't end there either. Because we have folks on every age level who are engaged in social media taking in so much and being influenced by so much. But it's not just social media. Because we live now in, in an age, and I'll go back here, 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 and you'll hate me for it, and you'll hate me for it, and you'll hate me for it. But we live in the era of the 24-hour news cycle. And, and some folks who are a little bit older, they, you have FOMO too. You have fear of missing out. That if you don't read those articles and watch those programs, you, your, your, your life is going to change terribly if you don't know what you're supposed to be angry about today. And we're taking in all of this information, we're being influenced, and we're being influenced, we're being influenced. And the question that I have for you, are we ever looking at these influences and saying, that's not of God. That's not the Lord. That's not Christ. That's not what I was raised in. Hold on a minute. Hold on just a minute. That's a teaching that isn't right, that isn't correct, that has nothing to do with Christ. I walked in the other day and my kids were watching their favorite program on YouTube. I'm sure there were puppies or something. I don't know. Like, Dad, do you, do you know my favorite character? I'm like, no, no, I don't. Puppies or something or the other thing and they're on the little, little kids programming. And all of a sudden a commercial breaks into the programming. And the commercial begins to celebrate confusion on a level that a four-year-old should never be exposed to. And it started to celebrate sexuality that is going to leave no one happy and certainly not something of God for a four-year-old. And I said, hold on a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What are you watching? And it was something about puppies or starfish or something childish. Yet somebody wrote an algorithm that was designed to influence my four-year-old to pursue something that wasn't of Christ. Cunning, deceitful schemes.
craftiness of the world. Scary, right? Now, we can look and go, well, we can evaluate that for a four-year-old, and we can if we care to. Are you evaluating it for you? When you're reading post after post after post, and so, well, I don't write this to start a debate. Yes, you do. Yes, you are trying to start a debate. You're posting that right now to try to influence me. Well, you know, none of my friends feel that way. Right, 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 but, but does Jesus feel that way? Well, nobody that I know still thinks that way. Yes, but does the word of God say that? Where is the primary seat at the table of our influence? Because there's so much coming in, and there's so much that we're being exposed to, and so much that we're being told that we should care about, and so much that we're being told that we should adjust to, and so much that's coming in today that the age of overwhelm for the Christian has different layers than even the overwhelm for the non-Christian. We have a lot going on in our world today. We have so much coming in. And the question is, who has the influence? Who has the influence? When I hit a wave or a struggle, something that's real, what's the voice in my head? And when I am engaged on a daily level with the rest of the world, who is influencing how I think? If you want to get to a place of God's peace in this age of overwhelm, we have to consider who's at the table and who is at the head of the table. Look back at verse 12. Paul's going to tell us who should be at the head of the table of our minds. He says that these teachers, prophets, evangelists, shepherds within the church are designed in verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's saying very clearly that we don't want to be infants that are beat up by this life. We want to be mature, and we want to be able to stand in spite of the life storms. We want to be able to put our feet upon the rock and not have the walls of our house blown in. And the way to do that is to settle on our influences, And the influence that we should settle on first, according to Paul, is Christian leadership. People who have wisdom. People who have knowledge of the word of God. And people who have our best interest at heart. Now there is a rampant scariness when a pastor has to say that to a congregation. Because you're you're worried, well, what's he trying to influence me to do? Well, at the end of service today, we will be taking an offering for the Skifstad Children College Fund. It's from the Lord. Come on, hold on a minute. Right? Don't we have a concern? Well, if if, if the Christian leadership is my influence, they could influence me the wrong way. Real story, right? Could happen. That's why we have to evaluate where we go to church and who we listen to. Are they trying to control us or are they trying to do two things? Are they encouraging us to live in a unity of faith with other Christians that would speak into their lives? That's what Paul says, unity of faith. Bring us to this idea that we are responsible to one another as the church of Jesus Christ, and that when we hit the wave of life, somebody is going to grab us by the elbow and go, stand up, another wave's coming. Right? 
Are they encouraging us towards a unity of faith that we, in which we are responsible for one another? And number two, are they encouraging you towards Christ-likeness? Are you saying, let's look, act, and speak like Jesus? That's our call as Christians. And we learn about Jesus in this thing. And therefore, we're going to teach from this thing. We're going to know this thing. We're going to use this as our authority because this is the stable sufficient place from which we can learn about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's when you know that you can trust Christian leadership. Now, it's going to look different in every church. I'm wearing jeans today, right? I have a lovely group of believers that they meet next to my in a few blocks, and they love the Lord and they serve the Lord, and every gal at that church today is in a full-length skirt and every man is in a suit. God bless them. Because they believe in their community covenant that that's the way that Christians are supposed to dress. The first time I walked in in jeans, Ben Court, who usually plays synth for us, goes, because we had a no jeans policy. But I didn't know it. (laughs) So I wore jeans. right? But the band knew it. right? We all live in this place of unity of faith that we're supposed to be responsible for one another. How How does that play out in real time when it comes to wind and waves? When Andrew faces something, Andrew's on the second row, nice red shirt. When Andrew faces something, he doesn't know what to do with that wave. He calls his brothers and sisters in Christ, or he may even come up to the church and talk to his pastors. Because a wave has hit, and it smacked him in the face, and he's not alone. You know the thing about infants is infants are always in isolation. They only care about what they want, when they want, and how they want and they're not interested in what anybody else needs. They, they, they operate their entire lives in isolation, saying, take care of me, take care of me, take care of me. But the cool thing is, Andrew is part of our body. He's part of this church. He's involved and he's invested, and when the wave comes, he knows where to go. He knows who to talk to. I tell you what, as a pastor, I love when people come to my office and they say, Pastor Matt, I I have lost somebody in my life and I don't know how to process that because they're not the saint that everybody thinks they were. What do I do with that? I have so many voices in my head. Pastor Matt, I'm slipping into alcoholism. Here I thought that I I was in a good spot and I had control and I don't have control and I need to talk to somebody. Pastor Matt, I'm dealing with terrible anxiety and I don't know what to do with it. What does God have to say about that? I love when people trust me enough to come talk to me about that. But here's the thing, too. And this is why, if you move on to verse 15, we see some important things. That, that, that I want to do that for as many as I can to do that for everybody. And I can't. There's 300 plus of us. 300 people that call this church home. Look at verse 15. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, everybody say every joint, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. There is supposed to be a unity of faith that if Andrew's facing a wave, or if Andrew's hit with the wind of doctrine, what to do with it, that he doesn't just have to come to Pastor Matt because Pastor Matt might be on the beach. 
But Todd's not. Todd's not on the beach. Beach. There's, there's supposed to be this, this concept, we're going to get into it in the weeks to come, that we don't do life in isolation. And that's been the scary thing of the pandemic, folks. We were forced into an isolation that, that is church. And we did that to be right, and we did that to be, to be reasonable, and we did that to protect public health, and we tried to do that. And I'm talking we as the entire church in America did that and tried to be right, or most of us did. But, but we have to get back to the idea that isolation is from the enemy and that unity is from the Lord. And if you think you're going to battle all the wind and the waves of life in isolation, you're not going to grow into maturity. You're, you're not going to get things figured out up here. Because the minute you hit a wave of life, what does the enemy say? Don't tell anybody about that. Just deal with it. Don't speak that in your life group. They don't need to hear that. You'll be a downer. Don't, don't say that. That's too personal. Don't speak it. Listen, listen to no doubt. Don't speak. Right? 90s reference, anybody? No? Don't speak it. But rather, speaking the truth in love, every joint works together to deal with what's going on in the lives of other people. That's why we're always on you, saying if you're new, go to growth track, because we're going to get to know you, and we're going to... Ministry, and we're going to try to get you in a small group. We're going to try to get you connected to the other joints. Go to Growth Track or, or, or not. Uh, sign up for a life group. Go to a Bible and barbecue. Find somebody to start doing life together so that when the waves of life hit, you're not dealing with it alone. Or when you're sitting there watching Fox News for the fourth hour in a row and you're all churned up, right? And I have nothing against Fox News. I will never. This microphone keeps going in and out. I feel like ditching it, except we have an online audience. So here's the thing. I, I, I don't care whether it's Fox News or CNN or NPR or, or Triv. I don't care. All right? But if that's the key voice in your ear, you are. We're supposed to be. Pat's supposed to be in my ear. And I'm supposed to be in Pat's ear. We are responsible to one another. Right? Responsible to one another. Years ago, I got off social media. And at, before I got off social media, I determined years earlier to stop posting anything. I stopped posting. Because of one simple fact. I didn't want to misrepresent any of you. And I thought, if I put out a wind of doctrine through my posts that disregards how Dennis feels... I'm remiss. I'm remiss. Or if I read 4,000 posts that disregards how Mark feels and I begin to be, to be pushed that direction, I'm not caring about Mark the way that I should. You see, we're supposed to live in this community where the winds of teaching that we're I absolutely have to do with the people that we're going to church with. That's how God designed it. Because the pull of the world is too strong. The temple of Artemis is too big. And God has better stuff for us. We're supposed to deal with the wind and the waves together, folks. That pulls us out of isolation. So my question to you is simple today. Who has a seat at the table of your mind? I, I want to be very clear to some of you today, and I don't want to be mean. I'm just being real. 
If I'm the only one from your church with a seat at the table, I'm not enough. If the guy who preaches is the only one at your church who has a seat at the table of your mind, all the other seats at the table aren't filled with so many people that are supposed to be there. Because it's not the way God designed it. You're supposed to deal with the wind and the waves with others. This is not to say that I won't counsel you. I'd love if you're facing a wave today or need to talk about a wind that you come and talk to me. That's what I'm here for. I'm saying that I can't be the only influence. Who has a table at the seat of your mind? Let me ask you another question. Are your key influencers aspiring to help you become more like Jesus? Are the ones who get your attention calling you to be more like Christ? Who are your influencers today? Are they people who you will never meet that you only see through a screen? They don't have your best interest at heart. The church should be your key influencer. That's how God designed it. The church, not just the pastor, but the church should be your key influencer. The people of the church. We need to pull ourselves out of isolation, folks, and begin to get in conversation once again. We have to rethink the seating arrangements of our mind because God designed it that our key influencers would be his people and not people that are, that are on TV, but the people that we actually go to church with because we're responsible to one another. Our maturity is not a rugged individualistic maturity. It is not that I have figured it out and now I can stand against the storms of life and I know all the right doctrine and will never be led astray. It's not that at all. It's that we will face the waves together and as winds of doctrine hit this place, we will process them together. It's committing to the idea that I will not process alone. I will not pursue growth alone. I will not try to filter through my thoughts alone. And I won't come to my own conclusions alone. I choose to be in the community that God designed me to be in. And in that way, what's going on up here helps get sorted. Are there people today in this body that have a seat at the table of your mind? Is there anybody that's able to help you process when the wind and the waves come? Because the battle for your mind is on. The enemy, through his deceitful schemes, is placing deceitful, cunning, crafty influencers in your face daily. Are they bringing you into a unity of faith? And are they encouraging you to be more like Jesus? Who has a seat at the table of your mind today? Who's there? Paul tells us that the head of the table is Christ. As you're seated next to him, think about who's around you. Settle in on your influencers. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, if there was not something in our sermon today that spoke to each one of us on some level, I doubt that we were listening. Lord, we realize that we live in a culture of overwhelm. We realize that there is so much influence in this world that is not of you. But Lord, I know you want us to do something about that. You don't want us to stay comfortable in that. You don't want us to 
cozy up next to the world, the flesh, the enemy. You don't want us to try to process without you and without your people. For just a moment, I'm going to ask each one of you in this place to ask a question of the Lord. And the first question is this in prayer. God, what influence needs to be erased today? What influence needs to go away? I hadn't thought to pray this way, but I think it's the right thing. I'm engaged in being influenced, and it's not bringing health to my life and to my mind. It's not an instrument of peace. It's an instrument of anger and angst. If God's brought something to mind today, and you want to commit to giving it over to him and saying, God, I renounce that influence right now. Why don't you just raise a hand to him? Say, God, I renounce that influence right now. It's not of you. It's not of you. It's not of you. It's not of you. Do it right now. It's not of you. Do something physical to match the spiritual. God, it's not of you. I renounce it. I renounce it. It's out. It's out. It's out. I need you. I need you. Second question for you to ask the Lord today. Lord, how is the table of my mind arranged? Who do I allow to influence me? Is it your people? What would you have me do about it if it's not? What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? God, I want peace and stability. What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? I wasn't meant to do this alone. If he's spoken to you today, commit it to him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'll do that. I've been more anxious and angry and upset and worried than I ever have been in my whole life. And I've been in isolation. And I need better influences around me. And I'll seek them out. I'll seek them out. I'll seek them out. My wife's been telling me. My husband's been telling me. My kids have been telling me that I'm out of sorts. I need to grow with other Christians and I need to be real with them. Just speak it to the Lord today. Commit to him what he would like you to commit to him. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would obey. You said that if we 
listen to your words and do them. We will be like people who set our house upon a rock. And the wind and the rain will come, but we will stand firm. Oh, Lord, help us to place our feet on the rock and do what you called us to do today. Help us to have a resolve to reseat our table. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Would you stand today? It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. It's been good to hear from the word of God. Well, I know you're headed out from this place to be engaged in lots of different things. Stay safe. Be careful with fireworks. And come back here whole and and ready to hear about our next principle next week. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this place today. I thank you for the ways in which you've spoken to us. I pray that as we hit our cars and go about our days doing different things, that we will not forget what you have spoken to us in this place. And I pray that you would renew our minds as we evaluate our influencers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.